0: forever. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever to him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever, and brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever forever with a strong hand and an outstretched arm for his steadfast love endures forever to him who divided the red sea in two for his steadfast love endures forever and made israel pass through the midst of it for his steadfast love endures forever but overthrew pharaoh and his host in the red sea for his steadfast love endures forever to him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. to him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. and killed mighty kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. and Og king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever And gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our low estate, for his steadfast love endures forever, and rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing and now the proclamation of his holy word. If you were here last Sunday evening you may remember reading Psalm 136 responsively. We've in our evening worship have been working through the Psalter reading uh, responsively all the way now to 136 and you know sometimes you you just you have a text of Scripture sticks with you. I went to bed with it on my mind, and I thought about it through the night, and I woke up, and Psalm 136 was still there in the recesses of my mind and heart. And so when the sheets came to my office where I'm supposed to fill out everything that goes in your bulletin, what should I preach for a a one-off, a one-time here as we're sort of in between things as we finish Revelation? Psalm 136 is just on my mind and on my heart. And I trust the Lord... We'll bless it to yours as well.
1: You know, there's a lot of psalms that begin with an inscription or an inscription of some
0: kind that highlight the,
1: the circumstance of the
0: psalm or the, the author of the psalm to kind of help us place it in history and time. 136, there's lots of debate over when it may have been written and by whom. Scholars tend to disagree. It maybe was written by David about 1,000 B.C., uh, when he was reigning as king, it may have been written about 500 years later after the, the remnant of the Israelite exile came back into the land after being returned at the decree of Cyrus. But the particular timing of Psalm 136 in terms of when it was authored is mostly inconsequential because one of the great characteristics of this psalm is its timelessness
1: is its uh, applicability to every situation of the Christian
0: life. You know, there's a few different circumstances listed here, a couple of different settings that we'll talk about in just a moment. The intended effect of this song is not to draw attention to those circumstances and settings, the exodus out of Israel, the striking down of kings as they entered into the promised land. The psalmist doesn't want us to think about those things. The psalmist writes about deliverance from Egypt and passage through the sea, and he reminds us of the conquest of Canaan, and maybe even if he's writing later, he's writing about the return from exile. He's writing about these things so that we may remember how good and gracious the Lord is. It's that repeated refrain that the the ministry of the Spirit is not boring to us as we read it and hear it read, by way of this repeated refrain mixed into these circumstances of God's people and the history of their redemption, this repeated refrain beckons us to come and behold the the never-failing, always-abiding love of our God. His steadfast love Endures forever. First, there at the beginning, the psalmist calls us. He calls the the readers of this psalm in the first place and and, and in the original context, the singers of the psalm. He calls them there to give thanks to the Lord. And his reasoning is very simple because God is good. Look at verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. The goodness of God is often, and certainly in this case, used as, a, as an umbrella characteristic under which all many other of God's brilliant attributes fit into. We may say that, that God's goodness is the fount out of which spring all of his other wonderful characteristics. God is good, and so God is gracious. And God is kind. He is long-suffering and merciful. Because He's good, He's just, and He's righteous. God is good. But we also give thanks to Him there in the beginning, you see. Because God is the only Lord and the only God. Give thanks to the God of gods in verse 2, verse 3. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Matthew Henry characterizes this saying, certainly the psalmist has in mind that that he is the God whom angels adore and from whom magistrates derive their power and by whom all pretended deities are and shall be conquered. He says, the the psalmist is saying, look, if there's there's anything in the the existence of the world, of the universe that God has made, if it's something that can be characterized as a God or a son of God or some kind of angelic being, if it's some kind of Lord over human affairs, if it's some kind of pretended God that mankind has made, if there is any God at all, it's Him. If there is any Lord that has ever existed, our God has right to that title. He is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. Give thanks to Him. The source of all goodness, you see in verse 1. The true Lord, the only God. Give thanks to him, says the psalmist. And what's the thrust of the whole psalm? What's the, what's the driving force of this whole song that he has written? Give thanks to him, says the psalmist, for his steadfast love endures forever. That word that's written here 26 different times, steadfast love, may be translated in very many different ways in whatever Bible you may have in front of you. It's translated very well in most places. You might see love or faithful love or steadfast love as the ESV has. You might have something like the Net Bible says loyal love You may see a word like mercy or faithfulness or loving kindness. All of these are correct. The steadfast love of God is His loyal love. It's His merciful love. It's that love that when they had been Driven into slavery in Egypt and they groaned and cried out to God. It's that love that heard Israel's cry and and called Moses to go deliver her. It's that love that forgave Israel there in the wilderness when they had given themselves to that golden bull. Just after God had told them how to worship, just after He had delivered them out of Egypt, out of slavery, into freedom, even in the wilderness under His guiding hand, they turned away from Him. And it's this merciful, steadfast, loyal love that was bestowed upon them in forgiving that sin. It's the love that that the prophet Hosea was called to act out, to display to the people of Israel how God loves them. What did He do? He continued to go back to that unfaithful wife that continued to leave him. It's that kind of love, God's steadfast love. It's the love of Ephesians 2. David read to us just a few moments ago that we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, did you catch it, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. It's that love, that mercy that refuses to be rid of his disobedient and rebellious children. It's that love that, that follows us all the days of our life that the psalmist talks about in 23. It's that love that pursues us, that, that doggedly comes after us all the days of our life because we are his. One Bible dictionary says that it is, speaking of this word, one of God's most central characteristics. His loving kindness is offered to His people who need redemption from sin and from enemies and from troubles. God's mercy, His steadfast love, His loyal love, it's that never failing, always abiding love of God that if you belong to Him through faith in Christ is yours and has been given to you and wrapped around you and is what draws you along in the Christian life. His steadfast love which endures forever it is of uh, it is this love that the psalmist presents to us over and over and over again in some in 136 and he calls upon us he calls upon you even now to praise god for this love give thanks to the lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever you know this 136 was Probably written to be sung by two parties, one maybe the main leader reading or singing the first part of the verse, and the chorus joining in the refrain all twenty six times. Let's work through this text and see that the, the subjects of thanksgiving that the psalmist gives to us. What is it what is it that he presents that is intended to call forth from you that choral refrain? What is it that the psalmist desires for you to see so that when you behold what God has done, you will be able to respond with nothing? His steadfast love endures forever. The psalmist rehearses, as he describes it there in verse 4, these great wonders of our God that are worthy of thanksgiving and praise. Look first at at verse 5 through 9. He establishes these acts of God's creation and providence.
1: Verse 5, he says to,
0: presumably right in in, uh, implying the verb from up top, give thanks, verse 5, to him who by understanding made the heavens, to him who spread out the earth above the waters, to him who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, and the moon and stars to rule over the night. I hope you hear the echo of the creation account from Genesis 1 and 2. Him making the heavens and the earth and the, the sun and the moon and the stars to rule over the, 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 the routine of those things in conjunction with each other. The psalmist is telling us that, that God is to be praised and thanks is to be given because He is the One who made not just you and me, not just all people that have ever been. God is the One who has made everything that has ever been. All things that are are because of His mighty hand the great wonder of creation. But more than just him being the creator of the heavens and of the earth and of the the lights in the sky that rule by day and night, the psalmist is also declaring to us here that God is the one who sustains all that he has made. Providence is the big word there. God made everything, but he also makes sure that everything is operating in its proper course. Yes, he did form the, the sun and the moon and the stars to give light to the world. But they also, the word is interesting, isn't it? They also rule for him day by day and night by night. The, their celestial chorus, courses r- r- remind us that God is on his throne. And that as the day changes into night and night subsequently comes back to day and the rotation goes on, we are reminded that God is ruling and reigning, that He did not make and disappear, but that He is providentially ordering all things to His good, purposeful, intended ends. That the earth continues spinning on its axis by His wise and gracious providence. And why is this? Such a hard thing to ask and answer. Why did God create, and why does God sustain? And if you know a straight answer to that, I'd love to sit down and talk with you. The depths of that we will plumb for all of eternity, will we not? Why God has done all the wonderful things he has done. But the psalmist gives us one reason here. Why God created all things, and why he is sustaining all things, for, or because, if you will, of his steadfast love that endures forever. You know, God did not uh, need to make you, he didn't need to make me, he didn't need to make anyone at all. He was not lonely or bored, he did not uh, form us so that he might find some way to receive recognition for who he is and what he's done. You know, within himself our God has, has perfect community and eternal glory. In the same way that we read in Ephesians 2, God has saved us because of His love. The psalmist tells us here that God made us because of His love.
1: Henry Law reflects on
0: this section here from from 4, or 5 till 9 about the creation and the sustaining of the world. And he says, surely every object bids the chorus to magnify ever-enduring mercy. Not just creation and providence, the psalmist moves along to the greatest deliverance story of the Old Testament, the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. Look at uh, verse 10. Uh, Give thanks, remember, verse 10, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them. Verse 12, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm to him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea to him who led his people through the wilderness. For generations before, God had promised again and again to his people that they would one day possess a land flowing with milk and honey. He told Abraham, and he told Isaac, and he told Jacob. And those promises were passed down to their own children generation by generation. But before that occurred, they were thrown into slavery in Egypt. you remember? The famine in the land, and, and the, the brothers had to go and, and look for grain in Egypt, and all of a sudden they find, oh, there's our brother Joseph. How did he get here? But it was all God's plan to bring them to a place where they would be cared for. But then as time went on, the kings in Egypt enslaved them and set them under a yoke of oppression for four centuries How many times do they wonder, is the Lord really good and faithful? Is the, real, is, is the Lord really merciful toward us? Does his faithfulness, does his steadfast love really endure forever? Because it feels like it's been a long time since he ever spoke to us or ever fulfilled a promise to us. And yet, you know, there in Exodus chapter 2, what the Lord heard the groaning of his people. He heard them cry out and he, he moved toward them.
1: He sent the ten plagues on
0: the land displaying his glory to the whole nation culminating in this. what's referenced here is that, that sweeping death brought to the firstborn children of man and cattle as they made their way out of the land. Can you imagine the sense of arriving at the sea and thinking surely this will be your graveyard and yet the Lord parts the sea and sends them through and that same sea parted was the demise of their enemies even Pharaoh who had oppressed them as they come through the water the Lord led them through the wilderness feeding them with with bread from heaven and water from rocks and, and, and leading them by a pillar of fire and cloud and even preserving their clothes all the way through their wanderings Henry Law again points us back and says think of this and he says every incident in that story awakens again a tribute to ever enduring mercy his steadfast love endures forever in verse 17 the psalmist picks up and speaks about what what happens after the deliverance out of Egypt the, the conquering of kings and the bringing of them into the promised land Verse 17, Give thanks to him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings, Sihon king of the Amorites and Og king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant. The the Lord fulfilled his promise to his people. He brought them out of Egypt and led them into the land of their inheritance. When Israel arrived there, not to God's surprise, certainly, but there were ungodly inhabitants in that land of Canaan.
1: There were people living in the houses that God had promised would be theirs. What's to be done? Well, certainly they
0: must be taken care of. He struck down great kings and killed mighty kings. These were not holy people, not the people of God's own choosing and possession.
1: And they weren't simply banished from the land either, not
0: deposed, not simply set under the feet of the Israelites, but they were slain. The righteous wrath and judgment of God, that same judgment that showed mercy to his people and brought them into this land of their own possession. You know, you, some, you probably, probably are like me. Sometimes you're tempted to skip over the verses that have names. I mean, you know, everybody knows Sihon, right? And Og. You, know, you young ladies, there's some names for your children one day. These are the first two kings that were put to death after they crossed the Jordan into Canaan. And they stand, having fallen by God's hand, they stand as a monument in Psalm 136 of the enduring faithfulness of our God who fulfills his promises to his people. Henry Law again, speaking of this particular section of what the Lord did in bringing them into the land, he says, every circumstance again prompts the acknowledgement that his mercy It is he who remembered us in our lowest state and rescued us from our foes he who gives food to all flesh The psalmist Do you see He brings us in with Him? He brings the readers and singers of this psalm in with Him. It is He who remembered us in our low estate. So as He writes this for Israel to sing, the author calls them and and us too as a part of God's people to remember not just these particular ways, not just these particular events, but all that God has done. often Israel was brought very low, long past the events described here. We get into the book of Judges, and it's a whole circular season of descending more and more to low estates in God, bringing them back up again.
1: You know, Judges is just
0: a downward spiral over and over and over again. The people leave God The people are oppressed by enemies as a result of God's judgment. The people cry out to God, and God sends a deliverer. And then again, later on, they leave God and and rebel against him, and they, they come under judgment, and they cry out to God. And what does he do? Finally, he turns away from them. No, no. His steadfast love endures forever. And he has promised to them that he will be there. And so even at the bottom of that spiral again and again in Judges, he returns and delivers them from their enemies. He sent kings to them, even though he didn't think it was right, and he told them not to. He appointed Saul among them, and Saul delivered them from many things. And David delivered them from Saul.
1: It was a good and righteous
0: king, but still much sin and much weakness in that man, King David. What do we see from the Lord's side in all of it? His steadfast love endured forever. He was faithful to his people. Even when Solomon took the throne and was deceived by women and things and and the kingdom was split after his death and, and good kings and bad kings all scattered around in Israel and Judah and you wonder, finally, God will be done with them. Yes. No. Do you know why? Because his steadfast love endures forever.
1: And he sent them off into exile. It's a discipline you do for your children. You shouldn't exile your children.
0: It's the same thing. It's for their good. He sent them off for their good, that they may learn to love him again and learn to yearn after him again. And he drew them back to the land, just a remnant still. But why? Because his steadfast love endures forever. And what sprung up from that remnant? but the Lord and Savior of all who would trust in him by faith. Why? Because God's steadfast love endures forever. Do you see? Do you see that thanksgiving, by the way, I did not plan this to be a thanksgiving-themed sermon. Do you see that thanksgiving must be given to God? Why? Because his steadfast love endures forever. Through all circumstances and all hardships, through death and pain. Verse 26. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. That phrase there, God of heaven, is not found anywhere else in the Psalms. A couple other places in Scripture, but nowhere else in this collection of songs. It's used here as this this culminating title for our God after the psalmist has rehearsed these stories of his unfailing love. It, it expresses um, the, the Lord's elevation, the God of heaven. It expresses the Lord's elevation above all things that he has made and over all all events that he has orchestrated. One writer writes, To this God all flesh should give thanks, for all receive his mercy in many forms and ways. His favors come down on generation after generation, and to his willing, obedient people shall flow on during eternal ages. This is your charge this morning, Friends, give thanks to the God of heaven. Give thanks to the one who made heaven. The one who spread out the earth above the waters. Give thanks to him who made the great lights that rule over the day and rule over the night. God God made you. You know the, the children's catechism? He made you and takes care of you. So you should glorify him and give thanks to him. Every day we rise with thankfulness in our hearts, or a prayer for it at least, because of all that he has done for us, simply in making us and sustaining us. But much more than that, you see, just just as the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt and could not deliver themselves, so also each one of you is, or at one time was, enslaved to sin and unable to deliver yourself. Your sin, you know, your sin calls for your death. It demands your damnation. But God, if you would trust His gospel, has struck down your sin in the death of Christ and has delivered you from it forever. He has redeemed your life from the pit. And as Paul already told us in Ephesians 2, He has seated you in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Just as the Israelites were continually led by the Lord in the wilderness and into the land to to conquer, just as they were led by Him into exile and even back in the return, so also the Lord is always with us still. We are His people through Christ. We belong to Him, and He will not leave. He is with you in those hard things. He's with you in funerals. He's with you in weddings. He's with you now here this morning as you've gathered to worship in the name of our Lord. He is with us and he has not left us. He has conquered your enemy, sin in the cross and the Lord Jesus rules and defends you and protects you against his and our enemies. He is our king and our God and his spirit has come and given us understanding and caused us to walk in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. The Lord, friends, let it be your verse 23. He has remembered your low estate, hasn't He? Hasn't He rescued you from your foe sin and delivered you from that enemy death? He has. Do you understand what God has done for you? Who will not shout aloud of His goodness? And extol his steadfast love, which faileth not. His mercy endures forever. This is your charge to give thanks to the God of heaven. But as we close, I want you to consider some of the more practical implications of these truths. Three thoughts, and then we're done. First, notice here the the constant refrain for his steadfast love endures forever. We already talked about it. The Psalms, right, are meant to be sung. And in the particular case of 136, this this is a refrain meant to be sung over and over again as a, as a response or, or sort of a refrain between verses. We're going to sing a, a song based on Psalm 136 in a moment. And you'll notice that the refrain is this repeating theme. There's a purpose to it in our lives to sing it and remember it. But Matthew Henry points out that the repetition points uh, uh, to more than just our practice of Psalm 136 or our singing or, or, or speaking of Psalm 136. He says it also shows for us on the page the characteristic of God's steadfast love. That it's always there, never failing, ever present, never going anywhere. How do you know? Because there it is, and there it is, and there it is, and there it is, and there it is. is, Over, and over, and over, and over again. His mercies to you as his people in Christ are repeated and drawn out continually as long as you will know him, which by his grace is forever and ever. Amen. Secondly, follow the example of the psalmist. What do we mean? He takes note of God's mercies toward his people. This is for you, to take note of God's mercies. This will help you as you seek to give thanks to the God of heaven. Take notice of what he's done for you. When you experience difficulty or pain or or coldness of heart or, or temptation to sin, we meditate upon the goodness of God to you chiefly and firstly in the gospel of grace that he has saved you from sin and then in all of his preservation of you since. I mean, has God saved you? And will he let that go to waste? Will he leave you now? No, certainly not. Has God preserved you in days past that were difficult and seemingly insurmountable? Will he then also preserve you today and now? The steadfast love of God as seen in our salvation and our preservation. His mercy, this this steadfast love is what our hearts ought to be full of. His love toward us, this steadfast love, it should shape our every day and our every night. Follow the example of the psalmist and take note of his mercies and be encouraged in the hard things that are presently with you. But thirdly and lastly, consider the everlasting nature of God's steadfast love. It's those two words that they endure forever. His steadfast love endures forever. It'd be a good thing to pick up if you need a stocking stuffer or just want to treat yourself. Um, Dane Ortland has a little devotional book on the Psalms, all 150, just a little tiny book. About 136, Ortland writes this. Throughout this psalm, we are reminded of God's repeated acts of deliverance for his people down through history.
1: There is no ceiling
0: to his steadfast love, no end of the line. His love endures forever. Listen, beyond your failures, beyond your resentments, beyond your own disgust with yourself, beyond the love of any friend, Jesus Christ came for you and died for you. He secured the permanence and demonstrated the depths of God's heart of love for sinners. Jesus proved it. His steadfast love endures forever. Friends, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You walked around this world under the influence of the prince of the power of the air, just like all the rest of the children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved you, even when you were dead in your trespasses, made you alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and he has raised you up with him and seated you with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks to the God of heaven.